we're in the second week of our series, uh, me and my big mouth. <clears throat> now, I've been married this May 25th. I will have been married to Janie Washburn for 29 years. And in those 29 years, I knew her for seven years before that. Um, one of the things I love the most is to hear my wife laugh. It is the cutest laugh. When she gets tickled, it makes me, it makes my heart smile. And so I've been trying to make her laugh for about 30-something uh, years, 27, 29 years, 36 years. I've known her for seven years before I got married to her. But when you've been married to someone for 29 years, you kind of have to get more and more outrageous from time to time. And so I'll push the envelope sometime just to see if I can make her laugh. I'll say something just completely outrageous. And, and if, I, if I'm successful, she'll laugh and I'll go, woo But there's times I'm not successful. Have you, ever, have you ever opened your mouth and stuck your foot in? When, when I say something like that and, and, and she doesn't laugh, I'm like, oh, no. And no amount of words can make it better. So today we're going to start off talking about um, foot-in-mouth disease. To put your foot in your mouth, here's the meaning, it, just in case you don't know, because some of you don't know, obviously you don't know. To say or do something that offends, upsets, or embarrasses someone else, to say something inappropriate, I've never done this next one. I've got to be careful not saying never. I'd also said I'd never dropped rings, and I both dropped both Rachel's and Matt's rings at their wedding, first time ever. Anyway, but I've never done this. Here's the example. Seeing Mary is larger than normal. John, so when is the baby due? Mary says, I'm not pregnant. That is the open... Mouth, insert, foot, right? Yeah, okay. So today I decided to, uh, to give you some examples of this, but, but I want to I I quote the words of, of my hero Yoda when he says, Foot in mouth, you say? Remove it, you must. <laughs> right? I mean, is that what we do when we realize that we've opened our mouth and inserted our foot? Do we take it out? Oh, no, 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 no. We tend to make it worse. We pile both feet in. We keep talking. Make it, right? We make it worse. Anyone? No? Okay. All right. So we're going to review real quickly for those of you who weren't here last week. We, we said there, there's a couple of things you need to know from, from the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus. And, and we actually had hand motions that went with it because we're going all the way back to preteen camp. And so here was the main point of last week. We're going to be quick to listen, slow to speak. We're going to do the East Texas accent. Ready? Everybody do it with me. Quick to listen, slow to speak. How many of you have the YouVersion Bible app? Today's verse of the day, if you have the Bible app, was James 1.19, which says, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. If you don't have the Bible app, you need to get it. You need to have the verse of the day. Now, what we said was, we tend to get frustrated, and when we get frustrated, what do many of us do? We close up. Sometimes we'll close our fists, and that's a symbol to everybody around us. Not necessarily that we want to punch them in the throat, but sometimes we want to punch them in the throat. But some of us are, are, are a little more controlled than that. But when our fists, and we just go, ah, what it means is it's a symbol to everyone around us that our ears are closing, that our minds are closing, that our hearts are closing to you. And, and you've got to be very careful at that point. Because when your hands close and your minds close and your hearts close, everything closes in your body but your mouth, and it starts a flapping, right? 
when you get frustrated. The reason that happens is everyone, everyone who's ever been frustrated, everybody who's ever been in a verbal conflict wants the same thing. They want to be heard. I want you to hear me, not just words are coming out of my mouth. I want you to hear the meaning. You want me to hear you. In fact, we can't hear each other until we believe. We cannot comprehend until we believe the other person has given us the benefit of the doubt and listening, hearing not just the words, but our hearts. See, when, when we're not heard long enough, eventually, even the quietest among us, our, our mouths will fly open and words will come out. And the real problem is when those words come out, they're out there. We can no longer stuff them back in, right? So believe it or not, God has given us this button. We have one of these. Some of you are like, no, I don't have one of those. No, no, you choose not to use it. And everybody around you knows you have one. You just don't want to use it. And you'll blame everything else, but, but God says, you got one of these. Now, what we wish we had, we wish we had one of these buttons. Don't you wish sometimes it comes out and you're like, oh, dear God, I did not mean to say that. Or you really wish you had this button. Donk. Whole conversations. My life would be so much better if I could just delete whole conversations. Anyone, right? Okay. Well, here's what we need to realize. Our words are powerful. Your words are powerful. My words are powerful. Because I want you to think about this. Your life has been shaped, my life has been shaped by words spoken to us, words spoken over us, words spoken about us. Think about this. Your life has been shaped, my life has been shaped by words spoken to, over, or about us. Words shaped our childhood experiences. They've shaped your marriages. They've shaped all of your relationships. Words impact your self-confidence, meaning when you look in the mirror, somebody's words have, have impacted who you, who you see looking back at you from that mirror. People with no confidence have gained confidence by words spoken over them, the right words. And people with extraordinary amounts of confidence have lost all confidence by hurtful words spoken to them. And what makes this so tricky is the words that we speak and the words that we receive, they're not equally weighted. This, think about this. They're not equally weighted. For example, how many more positive words does it take to counter one negative in your life? Right? I was at a wedding recently. And 95% of what was said was, was so uplifting. And then some people got up and they started talking. And all their words did was tear people down. And there was a spirit that came over this room. And it was not the Holy Spirit. It was the unholy spirit that came over this room. And these words tore down these poor people. And I'm just going, dear God, somebody make it stop. If you're the DJ, push mute. Right? Because... What they're going to remember are not the 95% of unbelievably kind build up. What they're going to remember is that 5% of words that destroyed them. We've got to be very, very careful. We remember the words that destroy, don't we? we? We don't remember the encouraging words. So hurtful words, sarcastic words, vengeful words, we remember those because they're unequally weighted. We remember those more than we remember the encouraging words. It's just, it's just the way we are. And think about this. If you're a boss, your words might weigh 100 pounds, depending on what kind of relationship you have with, with your employees. If you're a mom, your words might weigh 500 pounds to your children. If you're a dad, your words might even be 1,000 pounds to your children when you speak them. Being in youth ministry <clears throat> for 19 years, 
I was able to talk to all kinds of teenagers who had blown it. And when I mean blown it, there were those who'd had abortions. There were those who, who teen pregnancy. There was sexting before sexting even was a thing. There were teenagers I had to talk to who had done some things like that. And, I, you know, and, and drugs, alcohol, anything you can imagine I dealt with in those 19 years in youth ministry. And I would say to these teenagers, I'd say, you are not defined by your past. What's going to define you? I'm telling you, you know, I'm, I'm 20, 30 years older than you. I'm telling you, you're going to be defined by the choices you make from now until. And, and someday, someday you're going to look back at this and you're going to see how God protected you in the midst of this and even used this to give you opportunities to tell people about Christ. Your life is going to be okay. And, and I can't tell you how many times a teenager would look at me and say, yeah, but, but my mom does not feel that way. I wish my dad felt that way. Whoop-de-doo, Doug, your 20-pound words, yay, thanks. The 1,000-pound word speakers in my life, they don't believe that, and I'm going to go by what they say, not by what you say. Because isn't it true if there's somebody that you've assigned a 1,000 pounds weight to their words, if they speak hurtful words, it is immediate and it cuts deep, right? And no amount of positive words after that make the hurt go away magically, does it? Why is that? Well, I'm sorry doesn't erase those hurtful words. It's just like if we were to go out in the parking lot today, and, and I'm usually the last person to leave, but let's say I'm not the last person, and somebody walks behind my truck, and I accidentally back up, and the bumper of my truck snaps your leg, and I go, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. That doesn't fix your leg, does it? You're like, great, Doug, take me to the hospital because I've got some healing to do. It's the same with your words. When you say, I'm sorry, it doesn't immediately make healing come. There's some stuff that has to happen. You've got to allow people the opportunity to heal. For the same reason, if I back into you and hurt you and say, I'm sorry, if I verbally hurt you and then say, I'm sorry, it's not going to wipe out the consequences. Our words hurt, and more words don't immediately make it better, do they? The new words are not equally weighted with the old hurtful words. So since we don't have a delete button, we don't have a rewind button, we have, God has given us a pause button. And it's what James told us in James 1, 19. Be quick to listen, slow to, quick to listen, quick to listen, quick to listen. Keep your mouth shut and listen. That's called the pause button, and God's given you one. Our words are the most powerful thing that we have. They're the most powerful thing that we have any control over because you can destroy someone with your words and you don't even have to be in the same room with them. That's why Proverbs 18.21 says this. The tongue has the power of life and death. Life and death. And then look at this. It says, and those who love it will eat its fruit. If you love speaking words of death, the Bible promises you that you will reap words of death back into your life. If you love speaking words of life, the Bible says you're going to reap words of life. Now, some people are still going to be bucketheads. They're still going to speak words of death. But the majority of your life is going to, you're going to get back whatever you pour out. You love to speak those words, you're going to taste them for life or for death. Now, we're going to look at the words of James today. We're going to continue in James um, chapter 3 today. This is the half-brother of Jesus. And I want you to, to look at, as we're looking at these words that he has to say, I'm going to guess something. I'm going to guess your greatest regret relationally came because you either did not know or you did not follow the words of James. 
But the great news about the Bible is you, you can take the advice today and you can apply it to future relationships and God will save you from so much pain and regret if you'll apply the words of James. They're that helpful for your future. This advice was written over 2,000 years ago. It's just as relevant today. And just, just in case some of you think the Bible's old and it doesn't know what it's talking about and it's irrelevant, I want you to see just this first phrase today um, in James chapter 3, verse 2. It says, we, what's that second word? We all stumble in many ways. Has a truer statement ever been said? Anyone not stumble? Now, if we are in the Baptist church, somebody would have said, amen, because we all stumble in many ways, right? And if you've been here any amount of time, somebody should have said, I know that's right, baby. We all stumble in many ways. That's what we say around here. So let's try this again, and let's see if I can get some type of reaction from the truth of this. We all stumble in many ways. Thank you. We could go home, but we're not going to. Now look what it says in the rest of the verse. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now perfect, here's what he means. Gain control of your mouth, you'll keep your whole body out of trouble. Now, he's going to give us some illustrations. Verse 3. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. How many of y'all have ridden horses that had, you know, the bridle and the bit, you know? So one of the things I love about going on mission trips is we get to away. And, and so I stayed in a room with George and George when we're in this church. We're sleeping on the floor, and, and there's nothing to do. And so there's lots of talking time. And I don't know how we got to talking. I, I, we got to talking about horses. And George was telling me about this horse he had when he was younger, and this horse would not obey him. He put the little bridle on. It would not obey him. And, and what he found out, he called somebody who had more experience with horses, and he said, what's going on? And the guy said, well, what kind of bit are you? using it's a hackamore bit and the hackamore goes over the snout of the horse it doesn't go into its mouth and george was like this horse does not obey me i'm not controlling this animal and the guy said well you need a different bit he was broken he said i'm i'm willing to bet he was broken with a different type of bit i can't remember what you told me george told me gave me the right name but but it's a bit that goes in his mouth and it pinches the fire out of him and he said, put that bit in there. I guarantee you, you'll be able to control that horse. George put that bit in there. It was immediate. He controlled the mouth of the horse. And what he learned was, wherever the mouth of that horse goes, the rest of the body of that horse goes. That was a good lesson to learn, wasn't it, George? So he says, you control the beast. You control the beast's mouth. You control the beast. Next example is ships. Take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Here's a drawing of a ship way back in the day. This is actually one that predates Jesus, but this is something similar. And he's talking about this thing little right here. What is this thing called? He's going, this is a big boat. It's a big ship. And this thing is so small in comparison to the rest of it. But a pilot who knows what he's doing can steer that ship with this little bitty thing, get it to go wherever it wants to go. How many of y'all have ever been in like an inflatable two-person boat? You know, you air those things up and you put them out. Anybody been in those? Or you've been in a canoe that does not have... I've been in rafts. I've been in all kinds of different things. I went uh, whitewater rafting down the Colorado River years ago on a mission trip. 
And there's this really fit-looking guy with a good tan on the back, and he's actually controlling where our boat goes. And he says, when we hit the rapids, you paddle like crazy, take us through. I'll steer us clear of danger. And all he's doing is he's taking his paddle, and he's sticking it back there. Man, he is having a great time. woo You know, he's going around. We're getting splashed. We're thinking we're going to be pitched out of this water. It's freezing cold water. When we get through, he has steered us through danger with this little paddle. It's a rudder. And, and if you just looked at the paddle compared to the size of the this raft we're in there's like eight of us in this raft it's so small but it was it, it was able to guide the raft wherever the pilot wanted it to go that's what james is talking about he's saying if you want to control a beast put something in its mouth if you want to control a ship all it takes is something little but his his concern is not beasts it's not ships what is his concern likewise the tongue now a small part, this is what, what's on, next on your list, guys, small part makes a big influence. That's what he's talking about. The rudder seems so, ignif- so insignificant. For its size, though, it, ex- it exerts extraordinary influence. Something so insignificant looking can control a beast, can control a ship. But what he's really interested in is your tongue. Look what it says. Likewise, the tongue. Your tongue is so small compared to the rest of your body, but it can has so much power to control your destiny. Your tongue is only about four inches long, and it contains eight muscles. Did you know that those eight muscles are the only muscles in your body that never get tired? And I'm not making that up. They do not. God has designed your tongue in such a way that that the different muscles are redundant so that when one gets tired, the other one just picks up the slack, and you never even know. It's the only muscle in your body that never gets tired. Some of y'all are laughing, going, man, that's true. The Energizer Bunny's got nothing on your tongue. Verse 5, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts, and it never stops making them. This thing that never gets tired, it controls the direction, the destiny, and quality of your life. Second half of verse 5. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Put that picture up there if you would, Nate. That's a massive fire. Y'all ever seen the, the, the videos on YouTube? I was watching them this week when, when it shows how quickly a fire can spread. That can start from that. And James says, this is what's in your mouth. And you have to be very careful because this can scorch the people you love, can change their destiny, can change your destiny. Something so small, something so vast, there is no logical correlation that this can produce that. He said, that's your tongue. Verse 6, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Your mouth has the potential for endless evil. The good news is your mouth has potential for endless good. That's next week's sermon. You've got to come back for that one. Every kind of evil can come out of your mouth. Divorces many times start with a mouth. Murder can start with a mouth, some insult, some argument. Wars get started because egos are jacked up with words. And the problem is every one of us has one of these. And it's how we choose to use it, whether it whether it results in good or bad. Second half of verse 6, it corrupts the tongue, corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. 
Isn't he overselling this a little bit? Your tongue is set on fire by hell. Well, okay, let, let's, let's think about this. Parents, if your little child mouths off, do you put the mouth in timeout or do you put the whole body in timeout? If your teenager mouths off, do you simply ground their mouths and God, how we wish we could, right? Or do you ground the whole teenager? No one's ever divorced a mouth, although God, we would like to try. If it just weren't for their mouth, everything else was great, their mouth. Nobody's divorced the mouth, you divorce the whole person. The principal doesn't expel the mouth of the student, he expels the whole student. Nobody's mouth has been fired, you fire the whole individual, right? That's the point. So James is saying, as your mouth goes, so goes your life. He is not overstating it. You can burn down every relationship you have, and you can be alone because of your mouth, because of the poison in your mouth. Some of us have scorched the people we love the most with our mouths. And, and when, when we're confronted with the truth of our scorched mouth policy, how do we respond? More words. Well, I was just speaking the truth. I was just mad. I was just drunk. I didn't mean it. Well, if you start a fire accidentally, who's responsible for that fire? If your words scorch another person and start a fire, who's responsible for your words? You are. You have a pause button. You just don't use it. And in case that doesn't hurt enough, the last phrase drives it home. It says, is itself set on fire by hell. He's not talking about the destination of God's enemy and all of those who do not know Jesus when they die. What he's actually talking about is your tongue is set on fire by the source of evil himself. It's as if the enemy of God is an arsonist and an arsonist loves to look at the destruction that he causes and when you use your mouth to scorch someone else, your, the enemy of God says, great job, you are expanding the kingdom of hell. Let's do it some more. And your heavenly father says, that's not how it's supposed to be. And if you've ever said, I don't know where that came from, James just told you, it's in you. I, I don't know why I said that. James says, I do. There's evil in you. For you to speak evil, there has to be evil in you. Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Man, this week told my sister-in-law, it's just words. He had, he had used his words to scorch somebody cuss words uh, it's just words according to our heavenly father it's what's inside that man and it came out and it was devastating okay jimmy please stop can you stop talking about the mouth nope verse seven all kinds of animals birds reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind he's not talking about domesticated he's talking about subdued he's not saying we bring all of these animals into our house like we're domesticating them we have subdued them his point is, the human race is no longer threatened by the animal kingdom. Sure, occasionally, you know, you, you hear of certain things. Now, we do know that someday in the future, we're going to be threatened by apes. We know that. Charlton Heston told us that back in the 70s. We're, we're going to be threatened. But up until this point, there's no animal that has really threatened the human race, right? You hear of an occasional shark attack, an occasional uh, snake bite. But in terms of, of the overall population, we're not going extinct because of the apes or because of the other animals. Right? That's his point. 
And he says, you may have gotten your snake problem under control. You may have gotten the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, problem under control. You may be able to, to stay away from mosquitoes and other insects and other rodents. Woo, yeah, good for you. But look what he says in verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. Oh, yeah, you can do a great job with all this other stuff. You cannot tame your tongue. If a human being can't tame it, it must be supernatural to tame the tongue. There's an unpredictability factor about your tongue, about your mouth, about your words. They must be guarded. That's why one of my memory verses right now is Psalm 141.3. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. I pray this sometimes before I, before I have a meeting. God, set a, set a guard over my mouth. Keep, keep watch over the door of my lips because my tongue is a restless evil. And there's a sin nature in me that if that sin nature is what takes over my tongue, I will say things and I will do things that hurt people and I don't want to be that guy. So God, guard my mouth, guard my lips because, because this tongue is never satisfied. It's volatile, it's poisonous. You see, right now, I could ruin my entire career. I could say some things right now that would be so awful you'd be going... And next week, the board would stand up here and they'd go, y'all remember Doug? He ain't coming back. That's the power of words. Doug said he was sorry, and we believe he's sorry. He's not coming back. That's the power of this little thing in your mouth. You can destroy your life. It will determine where you end up in life. And he's like, come on, guys. I want to I show you just how ridiculous this little thing is. And he, he finishes with verses 9 through 12. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? What, what answer is he expecting to this? Can a fig tree bear olives? Or, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. He says, you come to church on Sunday morning, you sing, you say I am loved. And you sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And we praise God and we get out in the car. And James says, there's something incredibly wrong with your mouth. And it comes from the fact that there's something incredibly wrong with your heart. Because you will speak what is in your heart. It's why Solomon said, above all else, guard your heart. For everything we do comes from your heart. If you're speaking evil this afternoon at your waiter or your spouse or your children or about whatever, it means it's an indication there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with your mouth and it's attached to your heart and you better get it out or you're going to do irreparable damage to someone that you love. He says, he says this shouldn't be true. You should not be able to say, I love God and then curse people that God loves. Shouldn't happen. And our mouth is the only source that, that we know of where two opposites can come out. It's never been done before in history. There's something uniquely, disturbingly wrong with our mouths. And then James puts a period. The end. Wait, what? Aren't you going to give us some suggestions? Nope, the end. 
He moves on to the next subject. It's not the end of the book of James. It's just like he's talking about the tongue. It's horrible. It's, it's poisonous. It's set on fire by hell itself. The end. Come on, Jimmy, give us some suggestions. Nope, the end. I'm going to give you my guess as to why he did that. Because there's not a one, two, three that works for all time. You're not going to, today, you're not going to say, I took this pill and I don't have any problems with my tongue anymore. Cured my heart. Woo! I think it's because it's going to be an ongoing, as long as you have breath, this thing is evil and you better trust it to God. You better ask God to set some kind of guard over your mouth because you can't do it. No human can tame the tongue. So I'm going to give you a couple of suggestions. James says, quick to listen, slow to speak. And here's how you can do that. Number one, remember. Remember, surrender, and confess. We're going to give you all three of them, and I'm going to tell, tell you about them. Remember that you have so, your mouth has so much power. There are people who have given you the weight of your words, a thousand pound weight. And you need to be very careful when you speak to them. When you're angry, be very careful. When you're frustrated, be very careful. When you're just wound up, be very careful because your words can destroy a relationship. Second thing is surrender. Surrender your mouth to your Heavenly Father. And so what we're going to pray is, Lord, help me be known to be quick to listen, slow to speak. So we're going to pray this prayer. Heavenly Father... Remind me to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So I want you all to pray that with me right now. Heavenly Father, help me to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Let's say it again. Heavenly Father, help me to be quick to listen and slow to speak. I'm going to challenge you to say that prayer at least once, probably a thousand times every day if you want to be a person who's quick to listen, slow to speak. It's not going to happen overnight. You need to start practicing this. And then I want you to quote this verse over and over and over. Psalm 141.3. Set a guard over mouth. my mouth. Say it with me. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let's say it again. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You need supernatural help to put out the fire of hell that's in your mouth. Third thing is we're going to confess. You don't ever graduate from guarding your tongue, your tongue school. Ever. In fact, most of us keep repeating the same grade. We keep failing. And if you grew up in a home where people scorched you with their mouths, why don't you be the person who stops it? Why don't you change the destiny of your life and your children's lives by becoming someone who guards their mouth? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Only helpful words. So that means you've got to spend a lot of time tasting your words. And if your words taste bitter in your mouth... Oh, they're going to be horrible coming out of your mouth. Taste your words. And then when you blow it, confess. The Bible says that, Je that Job was blameless. It does not say that Job was sinless. What blameless means is when he screwed up, he said, I messed up, will you forgive me? And see, this is the thing. When you mess up, you don't go to someone and go, Sorry. Sorry you were offended. 
at my words. Sorry. That no. If you do that, it indicates your heart is pretty messed up. Because here's what the scripture says. The scripture says when you have a problem, you go to that person and you say, it's real simple, but it requires humility. Will you forgive me? I taught my kids this. And I asked a lot as they were growing up. I'd walk into their room when I'd blown it. I'd say, I blew it. Will you forgive me? Because that gives them all the power. And it requires me to lower myself below someone else. God says he gives grace to humble people who ask for forgiveness. And God says, I will oppose proud people who only rip people with their mouths. I'll oppose you. So if you want to fight God, you're going to lose that battle. Give me some popcorn. I'll watch until until you're like, I've had enough, God. And then we'll come alongside you and we'll help you get better. But if you've got this proud, hard heart, I don't need to surrender. I don't need to confess. (laughs) Tell everybody else in your life to step away from you because you're about to go through what, what my commentator calls chastening. I didn't know what that was. C-H-A-S-T-E-N-I-N-G. It's discipline on steroids. Because God will not allow his, his children to sin successfully. If you're a child of God, he will discipline you until you are humble before him and he can use you. Doesn't it make more sense to go, right, you're right, God. I, I want to be used by you before all of that other stuff. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Quick, quick, quick. To listen. Slow to speak. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're a God of grace. Because I grew up in in a home where we scorched each other with our words, and we were proud of it. We were dysfunctional. And I thank you there was a time you, you allowed me to know what happened in my mama's life, my daddy's life, to make them like they were. And it completely changed how I looked at them. And it made me love them and want to spend time with them. Quite honestly, it made me want to be like them. So I thought they went through hell and they were good people. And it's by your grace. Lord, teach us this power we have to build up or to tear down. Set a guard over our mouths, Lord. Keep watch over the door of our lips and help us to be quick to listen, slow to speak. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.